0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Good morning. So this morning's reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3 beginning at verse 18 and reading through to chapter 4 verse 1. That can be found on page 1184 in the church Bibles or alternatively the words will appear on the screen. So it's Colossians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 18, page 1184. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. Um, My name's Rob. In case we haven't met already, let me add my welcome... To Pete, Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I've been told off for saying that. My name is Rob, even if we have met. My name is always Rob. But if you haven't met, you might, you might not know that if we haven't met yet. Um, anyway, do come and say hello afterwards. There you go, Anna. i I've corrected myself. Okay, um, look, I am aware it's already um, over 45 minutes into this service. And we're about to be studying a passage that is, um, well, just a lot harder than last week's. So if you need to stand up to stay awake and do some lunges at any point, please feel free. Uh, Let me pray. Father, please, if there is anything good and true and from you this morning that I say, please would it last and have an effect in our lives. And if anything is not from you, please would it be quickly forgotten and binned. And please help us all to submit to the loving Lordship of your Son this morning, I pray. Amen. I want to ask this morning, if you are a Christian, are you willing to let Christ be Lord of all your life? All your life. I studied this amazing letter to the Colossians for the first time at university, and I remember reading those words in chapter 116. Do you remember them? All things have been created through Christ and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That blew me away. You see, till then, I had been a Christian, but I had wanted a kind of um, pocket Christ. A kind of matchbox Messiah that I kept in my back pocket to bring out when I needed something forgiving and wanted some assurance of God's love, but certainly not a Christ who was Lord over my life. I wanted to put him away once I'd got assurance and carry on with my life my way. But realizing he was Lord, supreme Lord over all, well, as it were, that let him out of the box. And I discovered that he was too big, too lordly, to get back in the box. And I actually had to let him be lord of my life. What kind of Messiah do you have? A matchbox Messiah? Not really lord? Not functionally? Over everything? Today we're going to see that Jesus wants us to submit our relationships to his lordship. His lordship knows no limits, says Paul. Do you remember how last week ended in verse 17? It's, there, do look at it with me, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul really means it. He wants to rub the idea into all our relationships today. Look down at verse 23 where he almost repeats himself, whatever you do, verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now look, I'm sure you notice there are many tricky things in today's passage that cause all sorts of arguments amongst Christians, but I hope that we who call ourselves Christians here agree on this that we want him to be Lord of everything in our lives because we know that he is a loving Lord. It's a basic Christian conviction, isn't it, that if Jesus is Lord and a loving Lord who made us and made us for himself, then not to live for him is like trying to cook your dinner with a hoover. It doesn't make sense. That's not what the Hoover was made for. Our big point today then is very simple, though it's going to impact us all in very specific ways, but the big point for all of us is submit all your relationships to the loving lordship of Christ. Shall I say that again for those taking notes? Submit all your relationships to the loving lordship of Christ. He made us for himself. He saved us for himself. He loves us for our good. Can't we do this? Now, to get really sharply what's going on in this passage, we need to travel back in time, 2,000 years, to the ancient city of Colossae, the Roman city of Colossae. We need to remember that Paul is addressing a Roman audience here. And in the ancient world, business and family weren't compartmentalized and separated like they are in our day. They were all mixed together in one basic unit, the household, which had well, marriage, relationships, children, but slaves as part of the household as well. I guess if you're part of a family business, your life might look a bit like this still, but many of us won't experience that. Now, also what we need to know is at the heart of the Roman household was a man with almost supreme power over his household. Uh, the head of the household, the, the pater familius he was called, the kind of family father, if you like. He had judicial power over his family. That's how far his power went. Power over the life and death of his slaves. Even his children at some points in Roman history. Now actually, whenever an ancient writer, a philosopher or political thinker wanted to think about how to make society work better in the Roman world, they would write these things called household codes where they address these different relationships. Husband-wife, father-children, master-slave. And can you see then that what we've got here is Paul riffing on that very common type of literature, a household code from the Roman world. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, children, obey your parents and everything this pleases the Lord. Slaves are reminded three times to reverence the Lord as they work for their masters. You see, there's a a massive crossover between what Paul is doing here and what other ancient philosophers would have done. And yet, you see, there is a radical difference as well. Because there's no mention of the emperor here. No mention of Zeus or the Roman gods here. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord who is our master. Five times he's mentioned. It was a deeply subversive thing that Paul then is doing. Come on, Roman people, he's saying. Who are you really living for? Where do your allegiances really lie? And I guess that's still a subversive message today, isn't it, in our culture? I mean, in our culture, everyone is Lord. And therefore, no one is really Lord In our culture, every religion is true, despite the fact, of course, that they all disagree with one another, and so ultimately no religion is really true. Well, Paul's message today cuts through the mess. He says, there is a God who made you. He made everything. He made it for himself. He is emperor and lord. Won't you submit to his loving lordship? But you know, Paul's household code, it's also deeply different, subversive in another way as well. You see, because all are made for Christ and through him, therefore all, all have a radical equality. Now, if you're actually awake during the reading, you might be thinking, has he gone mad? Didn't this passage just say that wives should submit to their husbands? How is he talking about equality? Well, I think we need to hear what Paul is saying in the context of what other people said about it in the ancient world. Have you guys heard of the ancient philosopher Aristotle? Heard of him? You can Wikipedia him if you haven't. Um, He's very famous, and there's lots written about him. And he wrote lots. He wrote a book called The Politics. Snappy title. Does what it says on the tin. Trying to help people work out how to live in the world and organize their lives and as part of his politics, he wrote a household code in which he said this. Men, this is a paraphrase, by the way, your wives, they're gonna to submit to you because of their natural weakness. You see, they are just intellectually, morally deficient, not rational beings like you are, men. Luckily for Aristotle, he never met Paul Harris in a dark alleyway. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd have emerged with all his teeth. Do you know what he says about slaves and children is even worse? But do you see then what Paul is doing in that context? Unlike Aristotle, but just like Christ before him. Paul does not believe that Christ's church should be a men's only locker room where only the boys are worth talking to. Do you see who he addresses here? He addresses, verse 18, wives. He talks, verse 20, to the children. He takes time to teach the children publicly in the church. Verse 22, he addresses the slaves, the lowest of the low. He addresses everybody as equally morally responsible, equally rational, equally called to submit to their Lord out of their own voluntary will. Do you remember 3 verse 11? Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. Look, whatever else we do with this passage, have you heard the radical equality with which Paul treats all comers, all people, all genders, all types, all ethnicities? Do you see, he is not the misogynistic, slave-oppressing ogre that people think he is. I think that's just a failure to hear him on his own terms, in his own context. Nevertheless, whilst he believed all are equal, created by Christ and for Christ, he also believed that there are differences It's interesting, isn't it? We try to create equality in our culture by eradicating differences and it just won't work. But Paul thinks that equality and difference can go hand in hand, they must. Each partner in each of the reciprocal relationships here, they have different but complementary roles. And I wanna say that it takes both sides of the equation doing their bit to make a home and work life that is beautiful and good as it was made to be by Christ. So let's dig into each relationship in turn. Verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. What is submission? Well, I guess at its most basic, it's lining up behind someone else's agenda, following their lead, getting on board with where they're heading. What about love? What is love? Well, I take it that when you love someone, you work out your agenda not for yourself, but for them. Not for your good, but the good of the one you love. More than that, you find your joy joy in their joy. If they are low, you cannot be high. So often when I hear Christians talk about marriage, Christians, that is, who do sign up to the differences between the Lord's calling to wives and husbands, which isn't all of us, but so often those Christians their discussion is all about not submission and love, but submission and leadership. It's a subtle shift, isn't it? But I think it is a terrible shift. Now, of course, submission does imply leadership, but if husbands don't focus on love, focus on it, make their discussion about it, make their thinking about how to be a better husband about love, then ultimately I think they are going to put obstacle after obstacle to their wife's submission. Do you want to be a leader? Take the lead in love. Now, we need to address this, don't we? Clearly, this view of a wife's submission to a husband that's unquestioned for millennia in the last sort of century or so in the West has become very controversial. And I know in this room we hold many different views on it. Some of us want to reject it nowadays because we hold that it was only ever a cultural expression of how things should be. And culture has moved on. And we note rightly, that actually Scripture calls all Christians to love and to submit to one another. It really does. Verse 14, last week, put on love, everybody to one another. Others of us hold that this is a pattern rooted in God's creation, his, good crea- his very good creation before the fall, and therefore that it transcends all cultures and is his very good design for marriage in all creation at every age and stage. That's my view, but please take me for a coffee or a pint and tell me I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. I wanna hear what you have to say. Look, this is an in-house debate between Christians of good faith and character at its best. It's not an easy debate. And you know, the problem today, of course, is that Paul isn't trying to persuade the Colossians of this basic pattern because, I take it, it was a shared value that they had. And so I'm not going to try and persuade you of a different view today. That's a hiding for nothing. There's just not enough information here. Perhaps we'll give it some time at another time. Publicly, as a church, looking at all the passages that are relevant, uh, there are very many. It would take several weeks. But, for now, let me address those husbands who do sign up to this pattern. And actually, all the rest of you can learn something about love along the way, can't you? Husbands, yes, all Christians, are called to love one another but as a husband, can I say you have an extra special responsibility in marriage to love your wife? What does love look like? Well, hasn't Paul told us already in Colossians? Fundamentally, it looks like how God has treated us. 3 verse 12, he dearly loves us. So who is he? What has he done for us? He has held nothing back from us but given us everything in his power to give graciously and freely. He's given us his very son. God has stooped low, taking on human flesh to lift us up to the heights of heaven. Love knows no limits. Love gets down on its hands and knees in humility to lift another up. Love looks like, well, 3 verse 12 from last week compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Can I say, if you're a husband who signs up to this, it would be very much worth your while going home after this service, maybe after the picnic so that you can go to the picnic as friends still, and asking your wife to tell you how you're doing in these areas. Wouldn't that be a good test of your humility? Humility. And if you don't like what you hear and you're tempted to get angry and reply harshly, as I am when I try this out, then please come and get help. If only out of love for your wife. I'd love to help you change. Even as I'm seeking to change, we can help each other. But change we must because it is simply rebellious against our loving master to be harsh with our wives. I have much to repent of here. How about you, Now, as for submission, we've talked about it a little, but I hope you'll allow me to talk a a bit more about what submission does not mean. It does not mean having no opinions of your own, it does not mean you stay silent when you think your husband is making unwise, ungodly decisions. Now, this shouldn't need saying for us, but I worry for many wives here, it still does. Look, you are a morally responsible, rational being, equally with your husband. Take responsibility before Christ for speaking up. I'd urge you to read the story of Abigail and her husband, Nabal, which means fool, by the way, in 1 Samuel 25. Please take a note, 1 Samuel 25, give it a read. If you want to see a wife who knows how to use her wisdom, her public voice, her personal wealth to counter her husband's folly publicly, not to undermine him because she wants to have a laugh with her mates about her husband and do him down, but to save him from his folly. Do you know, when his husband, her husband in his folly is killed by God for his uh, folly and sin, Do you know what the Christ of the day did, David? He jumped at the chance to propose to Abigail. I think sometimes we have really misunderstood what submission means and what it doesn't mean. No submission is not an excuse for you to remain silent in the face of a leader's folly. And also, submission is never, never a reason to suffer abuse in silence. If a husband is harming the Lord's daughter, he must pay the price for such a wicked folly. Wife, you are not bound to stay. For the sake of your children, for your own sake, for your husband's sake, get out. Get safe. Get help. Let us help you. Speak to Heather and Sally. Don't suffer in silence. The Lord wants our home lives to be lived out under his loving lordship, not to be places of terror and tragedy. Verse 20. Sorry, it's not as full of fun and uh, color this week, is it? But I hope you can see these things are serious. Maybe time to start doing some lunges if you're struggling. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Notice Paul assumes it's not the mum who is most likely to get their parenting wrong, but the fathers. Verse 21, it really does say fathers in the original, despite the footnote in the NIV. Do not embitter your children. It's the Roman dad that gets the correction, the head of the household, whose power Paul doesn't want to eradicate, but to relativize and reshape. Look, dads, if you see your child getting frustrated as you exercise parental authority in your home, maybe you still haven't learned to listen to your children. Maybe they simply aren't persuaded that you're on their side. That you're rooting for them. That you are, end of verse 21, their chief encourager. Please learn from the shape of Colossians. Paul has not asked us to do anything for two and a half chapters. For two and a half chapters, he's just persuaded us of the love of God and Christ. That they are on our side, that they are rooting for us, that they want us. And only then does he start to command. Amy and I have been struck recently by how many Christian books and blogs on parenting focus on enforcing verse 20, obedience, when verse 20 isn't even addressed to the parents. It's addressed to the children. (laughs) Books on obedience should be addressed to children, written for children. The adults need to have books written on how to be better at listening and encouraging, on gentleness and compassion and humility. I was at a wedding yesterday, and you're not getting deja vu, that's two weeks in a row that I've been at a wedding. And um, uh, I was chatting to one of my friends from my old church, and he was saying that with his 10-year-old, who is growing up now and beginning to have even more opinions than he ever has done, trust me, they have opinions from the word go, but age 10 now, he, he sits down with him every month to have a review, how have I been doing as a parent? Isn't that incredible? Not because he's uh, um, abdicating parental responsibility, but because he wants to learn how to encourage his child better, because he understands that his child is a, a rational, morally responsible being before the Lord and has the right to a voice. Finally, slaves. Once again, this is a hugely controversial topic. Yes, several things need to be said briefly. Slavery in Roman times was not exactly the same as the slave trade that our colonial empire um, forced upon people. Though it did have much in common with that, particularly when it came to prejudice. But often it was an economic arrangement as much as anything else, a way of avoiding poverty. Paul is not pro-slavery. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, 7 verse 21 if you want to look, He encourages all slaves to gain their freedom if they can. And finally, thirdly, the radical equality with which Paul treated slaves and masters surely sowed the seeds of slavery's downfall in the West. And um, just fourthly, and finally, finally, if you want an example of how he treated a slave as a beloved brother, read Philemon. Which was written at the same time about a slave called Onesimus. We're actually going to meet him next week in the, the, the um, final part of Colossians. Uh, just read that next letter, it's a beautiful thing. Now, as we unpack these verses, we'll apply it to being an employee, the modern relationship, which I think is most analogous to slavery because of the economic kind of side of things and the power dynamic boss underling. So, verse 22 slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord you see Paul is searching the motives of workers here verse 23 whatever you do work at it with all your heart he's bringing those motives in line with Christ's lordship overall working for the Lord I think this is an incredible encouragement for those of us who feel our work is menial and meaningless. It's not. If, from your heart, you're doing it for him, he will reward you. Verse 24 and actually it's a big challenge for those of us who find our work rewarding in and of itself or rewarding because we've got good bosses that reward us well who are you really working for look beyond your human boss do it for the Lord he is Lord of everything and he wants you to live all your life supremely for him now Verse 24, the reward that we will receive from him has a flip side, of course, doesn't it? Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. And it would be really easy, wouldn't it, to take that as a warning just to the slaves, not to disobey their masters. And I think it is that. But did you also see it's a warning to the masters themselves? You see, that word, doing wrong, has an opposite, and it comes in 4 verse 1, doing what is right. And that is a call to the bosses, to the masters, to the employers, 4 verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It's a sobering warning then. In fact, have you noticed just how sobering this whole passage would have been, particularly for that ancient head of the ancient household? Everyone else is just addressed once in this passage, aren't they? But if you were the head of a household, you've been addressed three times as husband, father, master. A treble responsibility to love, to encourage, to do justice and ensure that people get treated fairly. And interestingly, do you notice that Paul holds off, calling the head of the household to relate rightly to the Lord until the very end. No mention of the Lord in verse 19, addressed to the husband. No mention in verse 21, addressed to the fathers. It's only when he addresses the relationship at the very end with the largest power difference. When the man is potentially tempted to be most on his pedestal, as he looks down on his lowly slave. Only then that Paul pulls the pedestal from under his feet. Don't you know who you are? You have a master in heaven. You are but a slave. Look, I want to address those particularly in any sort of leadership position this morning. Climb down from your pedestal. So that the Lord doesn't have to knock you down. Climb down and learn to love. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help all of us this morning not to be too big for our own boots at home or at work. That we become unable to learn, to learn to submit to our heavenly boss. (laughs) Please help us to know that he loves us and that it is good to submit to him. Amen.